All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Ryan Humphreys. And today we're doing a show all around the emails you listeners have sent to us. We've got several to go over here, uh, a couple comments, a couple uh, questions, and some pretty cool stories. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, before we do though, if you guys like the show, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on, uh, rate and review the show. Written reviews go a long way and five stars is always best. Uh, if you want to ask us a question and get your story or comment or question featured on an episode coming up, uh, you can reach out to us on our social medias. If you search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, and there's a contact button on our website, thenorthernhunter.com that'll send us an email directly to the inbox. And while you're there, we have a shop page and a partner's page. The shop has some merch items in there, uh, logo wear, hats, hoodies, t-shirts, all that good stuff. And then the partner's page is a bunch of uh, great companies that have decided they believe in what we're doing. They want to help us out. And we've got discount codes with them. Uh, all that's listed there on the website or in the show notes of this show. So make sure you look there to get your discount code. If you use that, it helps them and it helps us. And all of that gear is hunter related. Uh, it helps get you out in the field. So. We appreciate all the support and uh, the comments and the emails. So without further ado, we're just going to dive right into these things. Here we go. Um, the first one I wanted to cover is from Edward. And this one actually came in a little while ago. Uh, we haven't done like a listener email yeah. uh, show for a bit now. Mm -hmm. So this one came out in mid-September, or, or he wrote in in mid-September, Edward did. But it was in reference to... Uh, I believe it was a show you and I did, Mo, okay. while you were gone, Dalton. Okay. Um, and I had brought up that video of the wolf and the bear seemingly hunting together. Oh, yeah. Uh, for anybody that hadn't seen that one, I believe, um, I don't remember where the video was posted, if it was on the, uh, the Alaska News uh, uh, website we normally like to go to. KTOO. KTOO. I can't remember if it was there or if it was on Outdoor Life, but it was on one mm. of those two. If you just search okay. uh, brown bear and wolf hunting together, you'll find the video. Seems like I saw that on Outdoor Life. It might be an Outdoor Life thing. I think that's where I saw but it too. Yeah. Basically what it was is Fish and Game had a, uh, a trail camera set up and I mean, whoever set that trail camera. Oh yeah. Man. <laughs> they do an amazing job. <laughs> Um, so there was a cow, moose, and a calf that were walking down this trail, and they have just come into frame on this camera. 
when a brown bear attacks the cow, moose. And then as she's fighting off the bear, a wolf jumps past the brown bear and chases the calf mm. out of frame. And so, and it cuts off. It's only like a 10 second video like most trail cameras have. Yeah. But really interesting. Hard to tell exactly what's going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Could have just been happenstance. Could have just been a uh, coincidence. Could have been intentional. Who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. we've all seen those Disney movies. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Well so, but Edward wrote in shortly after that and he said, Ref- referring to your latest show where you mentioned the footage with the grizzly and the wolf hunting together, uh, we have run into an interesting phenomenon here in Michigan when r- running black bears with hounds. Since wolves have been introduced back in 1995, the black bears have made some adjustments, it seems. Obvious ones are the normal things you would expect, but an interesting one is that the bigger bears are starting to tree. Traditionally, a black bear around and over the 350-pound mark will stand and fight the hounds instead of climbing a tree. Now, the bigger bears are treeing after running a short distance when they're in wolf country. Usually, after about a mile, they seem to tree, and in wolf country, we have to get, there, or get to the tree quickly because if we don't, uh, the wolves will attack the hounds that are baying the bear. Uh, it has become common enough that it seems very intentional that the, black, the big Bruins are letting the wolves do their dirty work and when the job is done, they come down out of the tree without a scratch and go about their business. Coincidence, mm. perhaps, but it seems like they're learning new tricks. Um, I, I was just in awe when I read that. Mm. I mean, to, <laughs> to see the different ways that changing the animals in an environment can change the behavior mm-hmm. yeah. of other things is just pretty phenomenal. I thought that was a fascinating uh, thing to notice. And he said since 1995? I guess that's when they reintroduced wolves in Michigan, from, from what he's saying there. Now, and, and I don't know if he's below the bridge or above the bridge. Wait a minute. Um, reintroduced wolves or reintroduced hound hunting for black bears? Since, he says here, since wolves have been introduced back in 1995, okay. the black bears have made some adjustments. So I wonder <clears> if the pressure didn't just make the bears tree more easily. That's kind of what I was wondering. And then the wolf population is now so great because... Mm. anybody that understands wolves will tell you that if you howl and bark like a dog and Mm -hmm. things like that, like say a coyote does, um, coyotes are pretty quiet in wolf country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because I know the wolves will come kill them. Right. I I wonder if it's not just a happy coincidence for the bears that they learn, okay, when I get chased by these dogs, I go up a tree and they can't get me. Mm-hmm. And if that's a learned behavior, and then it just so happens that when the wolf packs that are now more prevalent across right. the state have just learned, well, these are easy dogs to kill. <laughs> and so when we hear them, we <laughs> yeah. just go get them. Yeah. Right. And the black bears are just the beneficiaries of said <laughs> wolf population. Yeah. But either way, it is interesting to see that. And, and that's what he was saying. He, he says, you know, it could be just coincidence or it could be, sure. you know, mm-hmm. whatnot. But he, he says, apparently it's been happening pretty commonly. Huh. Right. Um, he's noticed it more and more as they hunt. I'd be interested so. to talk to this guy about hound hunting black bears. Oh, yeah. That would be yeah. fun. Yeah. We should... Uh, we should reach out to this guy. Yeah. So Edward, uh, we'll be we'll be emailing you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a great topic. Um, we did get another one, kind of along the same lines, um, asking uh, what bear is best. I'm gonna say brown bear. False. False. Black bear. <laughs> Black. <laughs> All right. So that's a tribute to uh, a favorite TV character of mine. Um, our second question is brought to us by no, no further explanation. <laughs> yeah, if if you get it, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, then there you go. Look it up. There you go. Um, 
<laughs> so our second question is brought to us. It's not really a question, but we got this one earlier in September. This is from David. He starts out in his email and he says, I can't thank you guys enough for the great content y'all have created. I've listened to almost all of your podcasts. Bravo. And mm. it has <laughs> helped me bait bears down in the low 48 and finally have a new show up on camera. However, I made a DIY black bear hunt trip this year in Alaska in the fall, and I was finally able to capitalize on my first black bear. I've hunted hard for three years with not a single bear on the ground. I believe I've learned more from black bears because of this. If I got one on my first try, I would have never obsessed about black bears and gone on this journey. Mm. From navigating regulations to hours of great content about hunting with your podcast, I felt comfortable enough to take the leap and try to kill a black bear in a state I love and have seen black bears in regularly. He goes on to mention that he came up and hunted with a friend. And then he says, to spare you in the details, uh, the only black bear I saw on our trip was the one I was able to harvest. The local police station was able to handle all sealing requirements with ease. I just called ahead and they were happy to meet me. Maybe something to add in your podcast. If there, is, if there isn't a local fish and game agency, call ahead and ask if the local police station can handle the sealing requirements. That's a so very like, good point. So like the wildlife troopers. Yeah, very good point. He says, I flew home with a cooler and some freezer packs, and it's now my, in my freezer awaiting to get to a taxidermist I can trust. Thank you again for an amazing podcast. And then he's, he included a photo with his bear. I responded to David, said congratulations, and we, and we exchanged some pleasantries there. He then responded with a follow-up email. He said, thank you guys again. I really appreciate everything you all have done and continue to do. Not bragging here, just asking for some advice. <laughs> I had the skull measured by a local police officer, image attached for the proof in parentheses. So I did some research on the record sizes and biggest skull found is 23 and 10 sixteenths inches. This is for black bear. Now you need to await 60 days to have an official do it, etc. I don't want to somehow mess this up or take it to the wrong person. So what's your best advice? Any recommendations or tips are welcome. Is this bear skull really within an inch of the world record? <laughs> so the world record was a found black bear, 23 and 10 sixteenths. Mm -hmm. This guy's bear measured length of 14 even and width of 8 and 8 sixteenths. Man, that's that massive skull. Tank. 22 and 8 sixteenths. Man. Unreal. <laughs> you know, I have two emotions when I hear that. <laughs> One is basically the noise I just made. Like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, that's an amazing bear. The second is I'm almost like, it, it's awesome that it's his first bear, but <laughs> there's almost not much to look forward to now. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, hunting bear isn't fun and, you know, you can just do it for the enjoyment of it. But like, yeah, it, you're never, you, you know, Chasing the next bigger one. You're not going to top that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, and as your first, I mean, amazing job. Amazing yeah, job. And fantastic. congratulations. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, but it's, you know, it's, what did the, I, I heard a story about, a, uh, uh, I think it was a, like a 12 or 13 year old that went on a, a moose hunt. Okay. And got like a Boone and Crockett bull moose. And I'm like, you're like 12 or 13. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. what if you shoot a 30 incher next year? It's right, going to look right. like nothing. You know, so, but. It wasn't it. Uh, was it Dustin Huff that shot that deer in Indiana? 
Oh, the Huff uh, Buck? Yeah. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Huff Buck, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. had no idea. Um, he, what he, because he was asked, I heard a, listen to a podcast, he was on, he was asked, like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do now? Because you always, you know, you, you, you said you're always looking for one bigger every year. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do now? And he goes, but go back to where I was before I shot this. Yep. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what you have to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, think, yeah. and it's still just as fun. Right. I'm not trying to say it's right. not, you know, so like. Right. Um, my other point, pointer on this one or thing that I noticed was just his, his attitude about mm-hmm. it, yeah. you know, uh, bait and bears, not getting a lot of success, um, getting some on camera, being excited about that, mm-hmm. keeping trying, keeping right. being obsessed. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. To just stick it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the thing that I found interesting about it is that he's only ever gotten the opportunity at one bear. Yeah. <laughs> so basically this is his introduction to killing bears in Alaska and this is what he shoots. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Incredible. Now, so 22 and 8 sixteenths. So, but you know, 22 and a half for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes. Right. Um, it, he said it has to wait 60 days. And he mm-hmm. sent me, just for the record, he sent me the sealing permit that was filled out and measured by the sealing officer. Right. right. So this is not just him with a set of calipers and a tape measure in his garage. This is the official measurement of the Alaska of the Alaska Fish and Game mm-hmm. record, right? That it was sealed mm-hmm. and recorded as this. So uh, he said that after sixty days, when it dries, and I, I recommended him. Um, I said have it measured by SCI and Boone and Crockett, yeah, if, if you care to do that. And then after it dries, get it officially measured by both parties, yeah. and then see where you land and email us back and let us know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's awesome. Um, obviously, you know he. The, the interesting part with bears is with every other trophy animal uh, that, that has headgear, that's how you measure it. Mm-hmm. With bears, it's so subjective, right? We term bears as big because we say, oh, that's a nine footer. Mm-hmm. Right. Or right. with a black bear, okay, that's a six foot bear or that's mm-hmm. a six and a half or a seven if it's big, right? Like right. that's a seven foot bear is a huge bear for a black bear. Um, some do get bigger, but not many. Right. And so, but, but there's no way to know how big that skull is. Sometimes they're meatheads. And when you take all the meat off the skull after you kill that thing and clean it up. Right. And you think, man, this thing is old. He's big. This was like a seven foot black bear. And that seven foot black bear might only have a 17 inch skull. Mm. They just don't have the right genetic for it. That's sometimes, what most bears are. And then sometimes guys will shoot a 10 foot brown bear and it's 27 instead of 28 or it's 26 right. and a half. I've heard of plenty of guys that shoot monstrous bodied brown bears that do not make over 28 inches, which is the minimum Boone and Crockett all time measurement. I was, I was going to ask, so, and, and this is maybe out of my own ignorance, but I, I just never looked into that. Um, they only measure off of skull for Boone and Crockett. Yes. Yeah. They don't, they don't count your, nope. your squared nope. dimensions. Yeah. CI is no. the same way. Are they yeah. really? Okay. Yeah. It's skull yeah. only on bears. And so you can have, what you think is a huge bear and you, and you can say, man, this right. thing is ancient looking. He's over 10 foot and he might not have that big of a skull. Mm-hmm. I, I, well, yeah, <laughs> without giving too terribly much detail, I, I met a guide this year that showed me a photo of a bear that his client had killed a couple of years ago. And if you do enough digging, then you'll figure out who did this. His client shot the biggest bear shot in Alaska since 1961, two years ago. Really? The skull was over 30 inches. Good night. Unreal. <laughs> he has a photo of it on the measuring table uh-huh. at, at camp. Mm-hmm. 
and the width is 11 feet. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so that one, you look at and you go, is that a short-faced bear or a <laughs> right. dirty polar bear or what's, what's right. going on here? And then you shoot it and then you wonder, okay, how big is his head really? Mm-hmm. And they measured it and it scored monstrous. Man. Huge wow, man. skull. So uh, the point is you really don't know what you get until you skin out the head <laughs> right. and then take the meat off of the thing and then measure it. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's not like David was out there saying, you know, I, I well, this one, I think he's going to be world record. This just happens to be just a stroke of yeah. good luck, really. Right. And yeah. that's what makes it so special because, wow, I had no idea. And right. he was already happy enough just to kill a big black bear. Yeah. Because it's a big bodied bear. Mm-hmm. But then to add the fact that it's going to score in the top bracket ever yeah. of black bears killed mm-hmm. for skull size. That's just that just has to make you smile. So congrats, David. We're all jealous, well, and uh, we would appreciate map coordinates. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, we'll be in touch. <laughs> well, and you know, it's 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 one of those things where luck becomes you, you get more lucky the harder you work. Mm-hmm. You can right. say that, you know. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like this guy put in yeah. a huge amount of work leading Thomas, up to this bear. Thomas Jefferson quote, I find that the harder I work, the more lucky I am. Yeah. I think yep. what he said. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it sounds like, that, yeah, this guy put in a lot of work towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, just for anybody new to bear hunting, like this guy was, uh, go into the, the squared measurement system that, that is used for scoring bears mm-hmm. um, and how it compares. I mean, I, I know you just talked about the, but as mm-hmm. far as the waiting for it to dry and all of that um, measurement. So the hide, the hide measurement. Mm-hmm. So on a bear, I mean, I grew up hunting bears since, well, since I can remember, saw my first bear from a tree stand when I was seven. Yep. There um, you go. And uh, so the way you measure a bear, usually, you know, we'll talk about like a 10 foot bear and that's talking about the squared measurement. So first you lay it out on the ground, right? And you get it out as straight as you can so that there's not like folds in the skin, except like in the armpits where there's a little extra skin, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you lay it down on its back usually. And uh, you'll measure from the tip of the tail to the nose, and let's say that's nine foot. Yeah. Right. And then no stretching. No stretching. Right. <laughs> um, until until you give taxidermist and he'll stretch it out. Right. right exactly. <laughs> um, but and then you measure the width, which mm. is toe to toe, right? And you you know you just kind of stick. You try to get the arms um, in their natural. Yeah. Across position, the, across the shoulders. Across the yeah. shoulders, right? From the from one toenail to the other. Yeah. Right. Uh, tip to tip there. And let's say it's, what, nine and a half, nine foot six. Yeah. So what would that bear be squared? I didn't hear what your length measurement was. <laughs> it was nine foot. <laughs> nine foot? So yeah. you just add them together and then divide by two. Correct. That's just three. your average. Nine yeah. foot three. So yeah. nine three. So that's how the squared system works. So we say yeah. a 10 foot bear, well, you know, he may have been wider than he was longer. He may have been longer than he was wide. Exactly. Yeah. But typically, you know, a 10 yeah. foot bear would be. And that's the deceiving part is when you mm-hmm. get those like the, the longer but lankier bears right. and you get the shorter and fatter bears, you know, and, and which ones you perceive to be bigger. It, it, it's, it's interesting how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been, been surprised. Yeah. See, I had that, <laughs> I had that one black bear that it was six, six long and six, six wide. Oh, nice. Yeah. Perfectly big square. Black bear. Yeah. That for for black, the interior. That too. is a very good interior. That one bear. that I shot with my bow with you a couple of years ago, James, in mm-hmm. the stand there squared 610 and that's 610 that's the biggest interior bear i've shot that was since that then. thing was a 
the one I shot before that interior. was six six, and up to that point, that was the biggest black bear. Mm-hmm. So now I have to what was either shoot one bigger or <laughs> right. just take other people hunting. <laughs> what was a skull on that six ten? I don't remember. I'd have to go back and measure it. See, no. on my six six bear, I think my skull was like. 15 or 16 inches maybe oh, yeah, it my, was small yeah and then the next bear i shot that was a boar and mm. then i shot a sow a year or two later yeah that was a smaller squared it wasn't tiny but it wasn't a huge bear right i think it was around six foot or right under um but the skull was a lot bigger it was like 17 inch skull mm-hmm. yeah. um wow. much bigger on that sow which you know different area too but still an interior black bear right but so just like we we're talking about how the size, the actual trophy score of an animal, mm-hmm. uh, of a black bear specifically, or a yeah. bear, is... Uh, I, I want to say that that 610 was over 18. Okay. Um, I mean, that, that would seem right. If it wasn't, it'd be... Yeah. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, it was over 18. It might have been 19 and change, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't Boone and Crockett, which is right. 20. Um, remember what that one, my, my seven-footer my dad shot, what that one came out to be? I want to say mid to high 18s if not really? 19 yeah kind of yeah. somewhere in the same range yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah and so for the skulls it's the same same style of measurement right? length and width added length yeah. and width did you add it instead yeah. of yeah, yeah. Right? It's, yeah. Not yeah. Squ- it's not a squared yeah. measurement right, right. it's not yeah. an so average there's one other animal that's measured like that it's, mm. and it's the wolf right right yeah, yeah. yeah. notice yep. how i pronounce wolf <laughs> <laughs> yeah yep and for the people wondering why you wait 60 days, it's because the drying uh, process will shrink to its, basically, its final form. Yeah. You know, correct. you don't want to have a, which, I, I don't know, I struggle with a little bit. I mean, maybe, I don't know how much shrinkage you would you would really accrue on it's average, or if it's uniformed, or if it's kind from, of from, situational, but um, I don't know. I, I think that's a, it's a good... Um, it's a good practice. I don't really have a problem with the practice. I, it's not a big difference. Yeah. I, mean, I shot that big wolf, right? And I, I scored it, but not green, green. It was a few days old. Mm-hmm. So that might be, it might be the first several days where there's a big difference, I imagine. Could be. Yeah. And then, you know, they just give it 60 days. That way there's kind of a uniform, mm. you know, after 60 days, they're all going to yeah. be the same. That's probably why that's there. Right. 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 Yeah. Anyway. So. Cool. Well, uh, that covers yeah. that one. Congratulations on the, on a big old bear and yeah. guys if you uh if you would like us to you know talk about if you have any success stories yeah. that you'd like to tell us about if you you know excited about it and you know maybe we'll, we'll talk about it on the show especially mm-hmm. if uh, it has something to do maybe you've asked us a question before mm-hmm. and went out on your hunt and were successful uh, definitely you know send us the story send us some pictures we're Absolutely. always we're always hyped up to see those things and if, if yeah. you know it's a real cool story we'll we'll tell it on the air so yep, absolutely. Uh, feel free to reach out to us uh, Mo, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll dive into some uh, some questions. Hammer Bullets produces what we at the Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. 
To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code the Northern Hunter to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, folks. So we love getting questions from you uh, about pretty much any season, any time of the year, how it pertains to hunting in Alaska or really hunting in general. If you've got gun questions or anything like that, we, we love answering those as well. Um, this question, I'm ashamed to say, kind of fell through the cracks, but we are getting to it before the time is, is here. So uh, let's, <laughs> uh, I'll just <laughs> go ahead and read it. So Andrew writes into the show. Uh, He's asking about moose hunting. So he says, hey guys, loved the episode 44 on early lessons in moose hunting. Man, that was 44. Whoa. And that was a while ago. That seemed like yesterday. (laughs) It's like almost 20, Uh, 16 episodes ago. Yeah. So so anyway, so yeah, episode 44 on the early lessons in moose hunting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seems to me that most or all the tactics you talked about are for attracting bulls. Any advice for someone who has drawn an antlerless tag? Uh, I've He's drawn one uh, for, you know, a small area of the state. Not going to give too much away there. Uh, He says he's also, and this is a cool factor. Remember in the last episode, you you put forth a little bit of trivia towards the end of it. You do. And you were asking about, oh, so you, you Dalton, I guess the, the guys can't see us. <laughs> yeah, right. Listeners can't see who I'm, t- who I'm looking at here. Um, so Dalton, you put forth a bit of trivia asking if there was a shotgun season here in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And I said, I thought I'd seen something about it, uh, but I couldn't, yeah. wasn't 100% sure. Yeah. You said there, there was, we would do some research into it. Well, this guy got one of those. So <laughs> he said, so there is shotgun seasons for moose here in Alaska, uh, because for this draw tag that he got, this antlerless uh, moose tag, uh, he says he's limited to using a shotgun, so it has to be within 100 yards or so, which is reasonable with a slug. Mm-hmm. Now, if you get a good slug mm-hmm. and a good rifle, a uh, good rifled slug barrel, um, uh, let's see. So his hunt is in November. So it's a later season and mm-hmm. hunt. Any advice you guys have is much appreciated. Uh, so one, congratulations on drawing a tag. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> we just did a whole episode right, about that too. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, all of us here have killed moose. We've all done a lot of moose hunting. Uh, but Dalton, you have actually successfully done a antlerless moose hunt in the, in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say you did differently than when you were looking for bulls from well, experience? I drew an antlerless moose tag many years ago. Mm-hmm. I was still a teenager and I qualified for the youth permits. Okay. And so I applied. Um, that must have been like right after you got back then. Yeah, it, it wasn't, was shortly, yeah, like a year wasn't maybe. long after. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was very shortly after I moved back from overseas. But I got a antlerless moose tag. I, I'm pretty sure it was antlerless. Mm. Not, not, it was. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it was antlerless. So um, let's see here. I, obviously, you know, I, I wasn't, um, wasn't, hadn't spent a lot of time <laughs> back in Alaska <laughs> hunting yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> so at, at the time, you know, it was just kind of tag along with, with my dad. And we hunted an area that he had hunted a lot before for bulls and I'd been there before looking for bulls and I drew the tag and he said, sweet, now we can shoot a bull or a cow. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah. and it wasn't long into that season and I shot a cow. Yeah. But we were hunting the exact same area that we were hunting for bulls. Mm. Basically, 
just hunt where you know there's a lot of moose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always seems like the areas near to town where these cow permits are are areas that if you go looking for a bull, all you see is cows, right? That is very true. All of us see cows routinely if if we're hunting around town here in mm-hmm. the evenings while we're still working during right. the work week. If we hunt somewhere not too far distant out of Fairbanks, it seems like you see a cow all the time. Yeah. And Definitely if, the most prominent. And if you don't, then you're probably going to move spots in a couple of days or, or, or a couple of evenings of hunting mm-hmm. because if you don't see cows, then you pretty much determine there's not a whole lot of moose around here right, right. now. Right. So most of us know where the cows hang out because we're looking for bulls there and that seeing cows just reassures us that there are bulls somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So th- that's pretty much all we did. You know, like I said, I, I wish I could be more of a help on that, but that was, <laughs> that was a long time ago now. Well, the, the biggest difference I would think between the two um, would be with cows, you're not necessarily, especially this time of year, you're not attracting them in the way you would a bull during the rut. Yeah. Correct. You're not going to yeah. be calling a cow in for a fight right mm-hmm. you know you're not going to be you know the cows are going to be where they're going to be mm-hmm. um so i i think playing into kind of what you just said lean back on yeah. prior moose hunting experience yep. if you have any you didn't really say if you had any but if you have any prior moose hunting experience especially in this region yeah. um you know just fall back on that where there's bulls there's cows where there's cows there's bulls where there's moose yeah there's moose um but a lot of your tactics are going to be a bit different mm-hmm. because yeah. you're yeah. going to be more sure. reliant on patterning. You're going to be more reliant on stalking or ambushing. Um, yep. Primarily, whether you're able to bring uh, some form of a tree stand in there or you're, yeah. you're able to figure out where these cows are hanging out, where they're bedding, work yeah. your way in. Yep. Um, November, there might be some snow on the ground. Most, most of the time, there'll be snow on the ground, uh, depending on what part of the state he's in. Um, there's snow where he's going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you'll have to take that into consideration, of course, but yep. also where there's snow, there's lots of footprints. Mm-hmm. So might yeah. even make it, yep. make your job a little bit easier. Exactly. Um, but pretty much instead of focusing on sitting in one spot and trying to call a bull to you, you've got to go to the cow yep. is, is the biggest difference or set yourself up where you know the cow's going to be. Yeah. If you know that she beds in this spot pretty regularly. Yeah. She walks down and waters here pretty regularly. Set yourself up for an ambush somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and especially with a shotgun. I mean, yeah. You know, 100 yards is still a decent ways. Yep. You know. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty easy to close that gap. I would say with a November hunt and with us knowing where he's going, mm-hmm. which part of the state, you have the terrain to get up high in glass. Yeah. Moose, that's very true. Moose are going to be herding up. When Mo and I have gone out, this time of year in October, November, the moose aren't rutting. They are herded up mm-hmm. and they're going to be huddled together. They, they defend themselves better against yeah. predators when they're yeah. huddled up. Uh, the bulls aren't fighting each other anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they'll spar and, the, and they'll, you know, knock into stuff and right. just doing what bulls do. But it's not because of the rut. They're not going to be pushing cows around and harassing one another. And I, I've seen groups of moose in November before that number over 20. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's herds of moose. It, it, right. it's, it's a crazy concept because <laughs> the rest of the year, they seem like they're just dire enemies and right. they, they, they can't solitary. stand each other and they're always cruising, looking for each other. And the only ones that are together are multiple cows with 
one bowl that's right. keeping yeah. all the other bowls away. Yeah. But you'll find them herded up, and so they're going to be easier to find, relatively speaking. If, well, well for, for a couple of reasons. There's no more leaves on the trees. Yes. There's no more leaves on the willows and the brush. So getting up high, um, you, you'll be able to see through the terrain better. You'll be able mm-hmm. to see through that brush better and look down on some river and, and creek bottom type country with your elevation to your advantage. And you hope that they're herded up together yeah. and that you can find, well, because I mean, it's just, um, I, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I think 10 moose are easier to spot than one moose. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, if you can catch them bedded up on a hillside in the middle of the day yeah, and then also figure out and, and do some homework and figure out, all right, in this area of the state, what are they eating this time of year? Call your local biologist oh, and yeah, ask them, what are they eating this time of year? Now that all the leaves are off the trees, where are they going to be hanging out? Do they yeah. like being in the river bottoms or are they going to be up high trying to see where the wolves are and, and defend themselves better? And so I, I, I would do that. And that was one thing I really liked when we had Jeff Day on. Now that yeah. was obviously pertaining more to bulls, mm-hmm. um, but he really dove into the science of yeah. hunting, figuring yeah. out all of that information, doing your yeah. research ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So I, I think that's that's super important. Yeah. I don't know if they're. It's I don't know if it, I'd say it's a guarantee they'll be herded up this time of year. No, but I mean it's not uncommon at all to see right. groups of twenty. Yeah. I've seen bigger groups than that, it, and especially if you get like a real steep decline in temperature real yeah. quick. Yeah. Um. The it, thing I would focus on a lot with that is with more. They are easier to spot, but there's more eyes. Exactly. It, there's more eyes. It's easier to see them. It's also easier to see you, mm-hmm. uh, so make sure you're you know you're covering yourself uh, properly for the season. If you're in snow, make sure you're dressed appropriately. Yeah. Um, if you are, you know, trying to make a stalk, don't just be you know walking through in the open. They're going to be a yeah. little bit more wary of predators right now because yeah. you know ruts over. They can mm-hmm. see. They know that food's a little bit more scarce, and and this is the yeah. time when when they're yeah. they're on the menu for yeah. a lot right. of predators that are still yeah. awake. Um, so definitely make sure your, your, your stalking game is on point if you're going to be going that route. Yeah. I, I was going to say, um, I've talked about walking up on moose before mm. and if you stay downwind and you stay quiet and don't move when they're looking at you, you should be able to get within a hundred yards fairly easily. If you wear like a white snow camo suit oh, and yes. belly crawl yeah. with your shotgun, yes, hundred yards shouldn't be an issue, even if there's five or 10 right. moose there. And that's what I meant by dress appropriately. Yeah. Is, yeah wear white, yeah. Wear, wear some kind of... Just go slow. environment yeah. camo. Go yeah. slow, play the wind, and belly crawl. And right. you, you should be able yeah. to get on The biggest them. thing I would say is if they're looking at you, don't move. R- yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yep. a big one. If you do, if you can do that, like, you can, I imagine you could crawl right up to them. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And and make sure you use a good slug in that shotgun, yeah. too. Make sure you're not just using the, the you know, the, the cheap box of yeah. <laughs> right. slugs right. off the shelf, you know, yeah. get you. Get you some, uh, what are those, like the Brennickies, you know, the, yeah. the real good penetrating slugs, yeah. the ones yeah. that, that fly really good. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it's a little late in the game now. I mean, he said the hunt happens in November. Uh, so hopefully you have a good good barrel for that thing too. Yeah. Uh, and practice. You know, make yeah. sure you're, you're capable. If 100 yards is your, your limit with that shotgun, make mm-hmm. sure you can take an ethical shot at yeah. 100 yards with yeah. that limit. Right. Yeah. You know, like, Send us pictures. Absolutely. I'd, I'd I would love, love to see this I, I would love to see photos of the terrain and how you hunted it and kind of hear your story. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're successful, yeah, let us know how it goes. I'd, I'd love to hear about that. You, you don't hear a lot about shotgun-specific moose hunting up here. Or, right. 
it, 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 it would be kind. yeah it, it would be really neat to hear that side of it especially if you end up killing one yeah and and see how that goes so yeah absolutely. good luck and be safe yep and i hope that this reaches you beforehand but uh if not we'll be we'll be transcribing this into an email for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> later tonight. and sorry we uh took a little while getting back to you it's uh hunting season in alaska yeah. and we were very very busy yeah it's been a busy fall uh, <laughs> always is right yeah always is about to be a busy winter which yeah. is gonna lead into a busy spring it already is, is gonna busy lead, lead into yeah. a bit another busy summer which is gonna yeah. it's never never a dull moment here in alaska if you're no. bored in alaska that's your own dang fault um <laughs> so <laughs> uh so the next one kind of falls along the same lines of uh hunting and playing the wind yeah uh, we'll just say that with your stalking yeah. or setting up a, a ambush. Yeah. You want to play the wind. Well, we had uh, Clayton right into the show. Love the podcast and have listened to two thirds of your episodes and I'm catching up on the rest. <laughs> Hopefully you're caught up by now. Um, he's, he asks, what's you guys' opinions or thoughts on scent masking products such as sprays, deodorants, and or laundry detergents? Uh, thanks, guys. Hope you all have good luck this fall slash winter. Ozone, all the spray you can use. Wash your clothes. <laughs> Sorry, right. I, just, I just, you know, hunt like you're hunting whitetails. <laughs> exactly. Tide, well, Tide Pods are a great glassing snack. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're in that generation. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, I don't identify so, with it, okay? Ooh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Not right. helping yourself there, all good right. buddy. <laughs> Back to the question. Um, Didn't mean for that to turn into this. <laughs> so uh, I, I did reply to him. So he he's yeah. heard our, our answer. Uh, but I felt like this was one that could be worthwhile to put on the show. So here we are. Uh, what I told him is that scent masking products are good. They're not going to be a detriment to your hunt. Um, but... The problem is a lot of people rely on them too heavily. Yeah. You know, a lot of people think scent killer. I don't have to worry about the wind. It's yes. not the case. Yes. Um, yeah. you, if you are overconfident in your use of these products, mm-hmm. it's going to be problem. It's going to create problems for you if you fail to actually play the wind. Yeah. Um, I kind of ranked them in order of you know most to least effectiveness. You know, I would say the the least effective version. It, for me, in my experience, would probably be the sprays mm. because it's just kind of a masking, you know, coating. Not to say they don't work. You know, if you want to spray your boots down or spray your pants down or something like that, it's not going to not help a little bit, but you're still going to have to make sure, you know, if you're sitting in a, in a tree stand at a bait or you're, you know, uh, hunting moose or hunting caribou, you still want to make sure that you're, you're not basically directly in the wind path going to these animals because. Yes, it will cover you, but it's still going to, it's just a covering, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, an impenetrable barrier. Yeah. Um, then I put the laundry detergents. There's several different makes and brands of these products, uh, and each of them have a pretty, pretty extensive product list. Um, I don't mind using that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think it's a hundred percent necessary if you just use unscented de- or detergent. Usually right. it's kind of the same thing. The good thing about the the scent product detergents is it will, again, kind of put a, a barrier on that clothing. So right. it might not absorb as much scent in the transition process between going from the dryer to the to the uh, the field. To then sitting in your truck and spilling coffee on it. But then, <laughs> yeah, I was to say, but then the problem with relying on the, on the detergent is you you 
do still want to be careful between that product. You know, yeah. you don't want to throw it in the truck and show up out to Moose Camp, as Chris says, smelling like Marlboro Reds and Old Spice, right? Yeah. So the smell of the um, Alaskan redneck. <laughs> the Alaskan. <laughs> so you want to make sure if you are using that, you know, take it out of the dryer or you're going to air dry it. Make sure you air dry it where you're not getting any kind of household smell good products you might have or your your wife might have around the house, you know, scented candles or your scentsies or pets or anything like that. Kids, yeah. <laughs> Food, cooking in the kitchen. You know, it's like you want to make sure none of those smells get back into the clothing. So get it in a tote, get it outside, get it somewhere. It's not going to get contaminated again. Yeah. Um, the one I use that I think uh, is just more of a, uh, I don't know. It's it's a real quick necessity. I should. I want to add to the detergent thing. Oh, quick. go for it. Yeah. Before Something you can do with the detergent thing. It's something my dad has done a lot with traps, mm-hmm. and he's probably done it with hunting clothes too, but is once you've descented them, you know, you run mm-hmm. through your detergent or whatever, yeah, you have a tote. But he didn't just buy this tote brand new. Right. <laughs> you bought this tote, you took it outside, and you let it air out. You mm-hmm. maybe put some pine boughs in it. Yeah, I was right? going to say spruce or anything. Spru- yeah, spruce boughs. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have pine trees here. What, a, what an idiot. But um, <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, but yeah, take some, some spruce boughs. Um, green ones, right? Right yeah. off a tree. And uh, put those in there and then just leave those in there. Mix them in with your clothes. Because yeah. that's a natural Because that's a natural yeah, scent. That's how it's going to smell out there. That's yeah. what, so. that, that is going to mask scent probably a lot better than mm-hmm. having, like like you say, when you get in a bear stand, you like to spray the tree with whatever your yep. scent that you're hunting with yep. because it masks your scent. It's a, yep. you know, it's not just a negative, it's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Because yeah, they're going to smell you up there anyway. Right. Exactly. exactly. Um, but, just to finish my my opinions on these, mm-hmm. and I'll let you dive in. Um, the deodorant is the one I do use. Um, you do, I do, and the only reason for that is because I am one stinky guy when I don't use deodorant. So I'm going to use deodorant regardless. So it's just like a regular um, old speed stick, but non scented. Basically, yeah. It's uh, there's several different brands. The one I I picked up was a uh, Dead Downwind. I think is what it's called. Okay. Um, Where did you buy that? Uh, Cabela's one time when I was down there in... Uh, really? I think it was Cabela's. Might have been Bass Pro, but it, it was, it was one time when I was down there in Anchorage. That. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Non-scented scent masking. Scent masking anti-perspirant deodorant. Anti-perspirant deodorant. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's huh. the one because, like I said, I'm going to use deodorant anyways. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't even want to be around me. So <laughs> I'm saying that, that name though, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. Exactly. Dead downwind. Huh. Um, but you know, they make, they make big ones, they make small ones, you know, you get like the little two and a quarter ounce bottles. Yeah. Um, and so it's pretty compact, doesn't take up a whole lot of space, huh. but that's one of those things where like, it's not going to hurt and it might be better than even an unscented stick from the store. That's still going to smell like soap or, you know, whatever else they put in there, aluminum and all that, right. you know, all the chemicals and all that. They work great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> super effective. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the one I've, I've more traditionally used just because again it's something I'm already using mm-hmm. might as well use the scent pre version yeah um, the rest of those two you know and then there might be more products than just the, the detergents and sprays and deodorants um, I, yeah but I just don't really invest a whole lot into it I carry yeah. one of those little little uh, powder bottles with me everywhere I go it's right in my bino harness I play the wind I figure people did that for thousands of years. Powder probably bottles. Not. You mean like a windicator? Yeah, like a windicator. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I, I forget what my brand is. It's just the $2 one you can buy at Sportsman's Warehouse. Yep. Um, and it works great. Lasts forever. Mine ran right. out and I put flour in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. 
Exactly. Um, if all else fails, you can make cookies. <laughs> 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 I told that to my client on this last hunt. He got a real kick out of that. Right. Yeah. But yeah, flour, baby powder, yeah. you know, any yeah. of that stuff yeah. works. Um, just don't so get just, it wet. Just refill it, you know, and that's all you do. You just shake it up, break that powder up, give yep. it a squeeze, and yep. whichever way the powder goes. Because that's the thing, like, there, you might not feel any right. kind of wind on your face right. or anything. You, you might not see grass mm-hmm. moving. There's still a direction the air is flowing. Yeah. Um, and so you want to be able to play that. And I would say learning to do that is more important than relying on, like I wouldn't even use scent, uh, scent reducing products until you've learned to play the wind. Yeah. Use that to increase your ability mm-hmm. once you have the skill, mm. but work on the skill first. That, that's my opinion. What do yeah. you think? The one thing that you didn't mention that I would bring up is ozonics. Mm. So <laughs> this is a highly debated tinfoil hat internet discussion. <laughs> I amongst, love those. <laughs> amongst very, the hunting crowd. Very white-tailed deer hunter. That, that's, I think that's probably where it originated. You know, people in the white-tail world are just fanatics mm. about that part of hunting right and that's fine you know if you live in the lower 48 you know oklahoma kansas ohio yeah those great whitetail states right that's fine you know that's your bread and butter uh and so i i think the ozonics likely came about as a result of (laughs) the the whitetail hunting gizmo gadgetry world Mm. and companies said well how else can we create wind i'm sorry scent deterring products right so ozonics as i understand it and correct me if i'm wrong if i say something wrong here uh, and i'm not an expert on it i don't have them but i know somebody up here that's successfully used them for a, a number of years now for bear baiting mm, yeah. so the, the way that i've heard it explained is you hang the little unit above your stand and as it emits these particles they attach to your scent molecules, which then makes ah. them heavier and just drop straight down to the ground. So it doesn't eliminate your scent. Gotcha. But it keeps it more localized around your stand. Yeah. So the guy that I know uses them, um, especially for when he's hunting grizzly bears over a bait. Grizzly bears are a lot more picky right. on bear baits, whether or not they're going to come in if they smell you or not. And so he uses them in, in the event that he has a grizzly bear coming in if the bear walks underneath of his stand, it's going to smell him. And he's had that happen before, and they've walked out of his life forever. I've had that happen Without too. having a shot. Mm-hmm. Because even though he had the Ozonics um, little unit running, it walked underneath the stand where all those scent molecules are dropping down to the ground. Yeah. So that, that, that's the theory. Now, to be fair, and, and to take the other side of the argument, this guy doesn't trust them enough that if it's windy, he doesn't even go. Mm. If he's targeting grizzly bears. He's outright said that before, that if it's windy, it doesn't matter if I have the ozonics because it's going to blow the air around too much and it won't even be able to do its job right. Right, right. So on a calm night in the bear stand, which is probably the majority of them, you're in the thick wooded country. There's usually yeah. not too much breeze. Yeah. If there is, then we're probably not hunting anyway. <laughs> right. Um, because yeah. it's, it's not ideal conditions I, regardless. I, I have sat in a tree stand when the wind is. Oh, howling. Yeah. yeah. It's a little spooky. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I put when I just, your whole stand I just don't is waste just my time swinging, anymore because like, they, they don't a, seem to come in. I put a bait in a spot this, this, this year. And I may have mentioned this when we were talking about it at, in the spring, but it ended up right in the sweet spot for wind, apparently. 
Because a hundred yards from my bait, no wind. Yeah, mm. I would ride in, nothing. I get in the stand, it was kind of calmed down. Mm. I'd sit there for hours and blowing, blowing, blowing. Back to my. By the time I got back to my wheeler, there was no more wind. Yeah, it was where I put the bait. Huh. And I'm. I, I don't think that was hundred percent the reason I didn't have bears. Right. Because right. there was a lot of bears on the bait. They just. I think they went off after the moose calves with all the timing and everything. Huh. But. It was insane the amount of wind that just because, you know, with the way the hills were, I was right in a dip between hills to get down lower. I was up high. Oh, that was in the saddle. Yeah, it was in a saddle. That's right. And kind of on the side. Yeah. yeah. It was the easiest access, which is, you just know, where those you go. thermal currents are traveling over over the saddle. <laughs> it must there. have been. It was, in, it was insane. I've never, exp- and I was right. I mean, where I was in a tree was up high enough, right? With the, if See I was down on the ground, brush. it probably wouldn't have been as bad, but yeah. it was kind of right. crazy. Yeah. Well, and you know, one big difference too where, a lot of these products have probably come into existence um, and maybe we've never really had a need for them up here is terrain difference and animal difference. Oh, animal between, difference. I think it's the biggest. Because like you said, a lot of this probably evolved from whitetail hunters. Yeah. Um, and I know Mo, you've done a little bit of whitetail hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done some whitetail hunting up in Ohio. I'm about to do some in Michigan. I'm going to go visit the in-laws and hopefully, hopefully do some deer hunting there. Uh, and at least I can tell you from the Ohio experience I've had, experiences I've had, the terrain, well, let's start with the animals first. So one, the whitetails seem to be a lot more skittish than anything up here mm-hmm. really oh, is. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're a lot more pressured. Yeah. They, they know what people are. How and many hundreds more of thousands of hunters are in Michigan every year? Right. <laughs> um, so they know what you are. They know what you smell like in most cases. Yeah. We're just going to say, you know, in most cases. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will get into some some really wild territory, and those you know you're blessed and, and, and to be able to hunt <laughs> in that area. But for the average guy going out on a weekend or you know mm-hmm. after work or something like that, you know out past his buddy's cornfield, that's where you know those deer know what humans are. So you got to be a little bit more careful there. The other thing is a lot of deer hunting is with a bow. Mm-hmm. You know, rifle seasons in the lower forty eight are very limited. Yeah. Um, for example, in Kansas, your bow season is like months mm-hmm. long. Yeah. Whereas your rifle season, you get a week or two, depending on which county you're right. in and all that. Mm. Um, and so you get a lot more guys that are up close and personal because they're, they're bow hunting. Yeah. Um, so all of that kind of leads into the difference in terrain too, because up here we have a lot bigger hills, you know, at least in the area that I was hunting in Ohio. And, and this is not generalized for the entire country, obviously, but like where I was hunting in Ohio, it was a lot of old, um, like coal mining hills. Mm. And so it's, it's kind of like when you go out towards Chattanooga and you can see all the, the dredge marks mm-hmm. from the gold mining. Yeah. Similar thing down there. You look at the hillsides and you can see where it's actually been carved out, you know, years and years and years ago and it's all grown back up. Interesting. Um, but what that does in, in my experience is it creates a little bit more swirling wind effect. Um, so, you know, you're not getting those one directional winds that just kind of consistently go and you can play it a little bit easier. Yeah. I think you'd probably end up wanting to use some of these products more in one of those situations because you have, it's harder to play the wind in those conditions, right? It's changing often. It might, Mm -hmm. it might just switch direction on you. Your thermals will be different. Yeah. Um, so I, I can definitely see a use for them depending on your application. Right. For Alaska though, for caribou, moose, honestly, even, even, uh, bear baiting yeah. i mean it, it might not be a bad thing to do it might it won't hurt your odds at all right as right. long as you're still doing everything you're supposed to do yeah i like that that idea 
using the Ozonics, actually. Yeah. That yeah. might be something I look into. That's not a bad idea for the Grizzly Bears. I've never, for, yeah. I think you mentioned that to me, yeah. but I hadn't really yeah. thought about it. For, for, for the listener's benefit, the guy that I'm talking about is Tyler Friel. Mm. Oh, okay. uh, he's a writer for Outdoor Life, and he's he's got a podcast, Tundra Talk Podcast. And uh, I've asked him about Ozonics before, and he doesn't even use the most expensive unit that, that Ozonics sells. He uses one, I think it's still like $300. Is it like the size of a thermocell, kind of? From what I remember, I haven't looked him up in a couple yeah. of years since I asked him about it, but I, I heard him mention it on his show before, and then I, I, I want to say that he's written a couple articles about using Ozonics. So yeah. if you're interested in that, um, just look him up and, and sift through some of his mm-hmm. articles, and yeah. I, I, I'll bet you could probably find something that, that he's detailed how he uses those. And I, I, like I said, it's, it's like with anything, it's not going to be 100% guaranteed that, well, the bears won't smell you if you have ozonics. Well, right. And he doesn't, he doesn't pump it up like that. He mm-hmm. looks at it through the realism of if it's windy, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, it's not the wonder drug of scent killing. And for, for me, for everything else, if, if people ask me about you know, scent control products, I, I've never been into it. Uh, because I hunt the wind religiously, you know, and, and I've, and this is not to say that it doesn't have any effect, but brown bears have the greatest sense of smell of anything we have up here. Uh, but well, but probably, probably any bear, I, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I suppose black bears could have the same number of olfactory nerve receptors, but uh, I've, I've been on a lot of brown bear hunts. And if you play the wind, it just doesn't matter. Right. As long as you are not upwind of those bears, they're just not going to smell you. It's physically impossible. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of it has to do, and, and it makes sense the way that you, James, explained that, is our terrain is more open and more uh, just naturally the way it is. Mm-hmm. We don't have those crazy little bowls and cuts, and our terrain is just bigger. And when the wind is going one way, it's probably going to stay that general direction until the front switches. You right. know, if, if you have a low pressure system going this way or that way, or if it's colliding, you might have some swirls. But usually on like spot and stalk type of hunts, when it's going one way, it's going to be going that way for a while mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. And it's usually going to be going that way long enough for you to count on it going that way and make a stalk on that wind direction. So hunting the wind is the most important thing, not necessarily scent killer. Right. Um, now for predator calling where you can't always pick a spot determined by wind direction, if you've only got an opening facing from one way and you're going to call, say a, a little pond and you've only got the opportunity to walk in from one side, then I could see using some scent killer products for doing that. Right. Just to give you a little bit more of an edge. Yeah. You know, but, in, in an already kind of bad situation. Yes. Yeah. But for big game hunting in the open country, bear baiting excluded and predator hunting excluded, just hunt the wind. Yep. That's that's what I would say. Yep. That's but, the best skill you can develop yeah. as far as scent control goes yeah, absolutely. Is, is your own yeah. placement. You know, I've never used like the Windicator stuff. Yeah. No, I've always just did what I seen in the Daniel Boone show when I was growing <laughs> up, right? Finger in the mouth, stick it in the air. It works. <laughs> it does. Uh, with the, with the, the lighter winds, like the very Dude, slow moving, it, it's, it's it. tricked me a couple times. I know. I've done it um, so long, and yeah. I'll do it a few times, usually as I move, just to make sure, and typically, it, I get it right. Nice. After a couple of weeks in the field, I don't want to lick my <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I, uh, I wipe it off first. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
You use them dude wipes you got in your. <laughs> after <laughs> after your, a couple of weeks, harness. I just uh, only food goes in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> after that point, <laughs> I don't know, man. The powder is two dollars. I'm not going to stress True. about it too much. Yeah. So. I just never. <laughs> and flour is free out of my wife's cupboard. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, so but yeah, so that's that's our opinion um, of scent products and how to use them, at least here in Alaska. If you're if you're somewhere else, I mean, you know. Apply it as needed for your your use. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We did get uh, one more email here. Mm-hmm. Uh, no name at all. Hardly a description. So. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that answers all of our questions for today. <laughs> If you're out, I don't know your name, but <laughs> uh, so we had. I think we have to we, bring we, some we, clarity to that. So <laughs> <laughs> this was kind so of a, we, we this was kind of a correction slash uh, joke that, that, that yeah. Just, you know, so w- during the 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 portion of the show where we invite people to to write in, you know, we do say any comments, <laughs> complaints, concerns, anything like that. If you if you have a, a any, something that bothers you yeah. about the show or you have something you want to discuss yeah. with us. Corrective criticism. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're open. If you have a different opinion, I mean, feel free to, to write us in. We love, you know, and the email's best. Um, yeah. But, you know, we love talking things and, you know, hey, maybe, maybe you have a great point that we yeah. can get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what was this email about? Uh, so this person wrote, you know, wrote in, uh, didn't, didn't put a name or anything. So, uh, you know, but I, I appreciate it. And, and he pointed out a, uh, a speech. I don't even know what you'd call it, but a habit of mine. I think when I'm, when somebody's, when I'm talking to you from across the table, you know, and you say something, I'm like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. And then so, <laughs> for anybody listening, if that bothers you, I, uh, I guess I'm sorry, uh, but not really. Specifically, he <laughs> it's didn't how I like, talk. So. Specifically, he didn't like the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which yeah. It's not just you. <laughs> no, it's we're not. all guilty of it. <laughs> I, well, we, <laughs> I think I caught myself doing it like a half dozen times already in this show. Yeah, and so yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, you know, I mm-hmm, I don't talk <laughs> as much as you guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I've I've noticed I've noticed it a lot. Like when you're say James, you're talking to Dalton, and I hear. Or Dalton's talking to you, or we have a guest, and you're just like doing it, and I'm sitting here going, "Come on, you know, that that that's mm-hmm. enough already, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. but then I'll find myself like when it's just you and me on the podcast, and you're talking <laughs> a bunch, and I'll find myself doing the same. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's probably something a lot of people do naturally, and they just don't notice it. Right. It just gets kind of I don't right. know, noticed on the show. But anyway. And you, you didn't leave a name, so we can't we can't call you out. But we appreciate that you wrote in. We actually do. We're just yeah. mess, messing with you a little we bit. We got so. a good laugh <laughs> out of it, and we will try to work on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this has been a fun episode, right? <laughs> All right. Well, Mo, let's jump into a break real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll hit this last couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, 
Go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. All right, so one interesting one we got that uh, this came in, I think, a week ago now, uh, at the time of this recording. Uh, so Rick writes into the show, and he brought up something that, and he met, he mentioned in his uh, in his email here that it's not talked about a whole lot. So I figured we'd bring it up in this episode. Uh, so Rick says, like in the podcast, very informative and entertaining. I found you through Jeff Lund's podcast. So great guy, Jeff Lund is. Uh, Glad you're, glad you're listening to him too. Uh, let's see. I live in Washington, but visit Alaska annually. I recently harvested a moose with several tapeworm cysts in the meat. Uh, so this uh, subject is fresh in my mind. ADFG says 40 to 70% of moose and caribou have these cysts, but you don't often hear about them. And folks, how do folks deal with the parasites in game, dealing with pets, worm cycles, et cetera? Hmm. Uh, might be good podcast conversation, which... Yeah. Sounds like it will be. Yeah, here we go. Um, and I wrote him back. Uh, looks like same day. And, you know, kind of told him my experience. You know, I have definitely found these, these cysts, uh, the, yeah, the, the tapeworm cysts in, mm-hmm. in meat. Yeah. Uh, typically, you know, you're going to find it on, let's say, the haunches, some rib meat, stuff like that. Um, and it just looks like little, little, it sounds gross, but pus balls, basically, is what yeah. they look like. Yep. You know, yeah. when you're, when you, you get the meat home and you're inspecting it and you're, you're cutting it up for, for consumption. Uh, and it is fairly common. I mean, you know, it's, it's not in every moose by any means. Um, it's, yeah. you know, not, if you shoot a young moose, you might, might not have to worry about it so much if you're, if you're just shooting a spike or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically tends to be in the more mature moose from what I've seen, what I've heard and heard people talking about. Okay. Um, but realistically, uh, they're not something you have to worry about. Yeah. You know, the, so tapeworm, the tapeworm cysts that, or the tapeworms that create the cysts in these animals, um, they are parasitic, but they're not dangerous to humans. Right. They don't attach to the human uh, digestive tract. Um, and so what, and what tapeworms typically do is they'll, they'll do just that. When mm-hmm. they get into an animal, you know, they'll, they'll get into the digestive tract. They'll kind of, attach themselves to the walls and then they'll, they'll grow as they they get older right. and then they'll start, uh, they'll spawn. And basically that, that's how they spread out is, is through the mm-hmm. feces of the animal is in their spawning. And then they get, they work their way into the meat, everything like that. Um, it's, it's pretty common, you know, and, and, it, and it's not yeah. something that's, that's, uh, just in game animals either. The, the, you find stuff like this in agricultural animals just yep. as much. Um, anybody that, Eating pork, I'm here to tell you, you've eaten, you've eaten tapeworms and parasites. Um, dead ones, ideally. Dead ones, ideally, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and again, you know, a lot of these ones, they're not dangerous to humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically when we find these cysts, when we find, you know, uh, pockets of them or, group, you know, they're spread out all over the meat. Yeah. You just kind of cut them out. You right. know, and that's more of just for peace of mind. You don't yeah. actually even have to. Yeah. Uh, you could grind it up with those in there and it's not going to affect the flavor. It's not going to affect. You're never going to know. You're yeah. never even going to know it's there. Like once you grind it up, you're never going to see them. You're never going to taste them. You're, they're not going to affect you negatively in any way. Mm-hmm. So as long as you can stomach getting past that process, 
of seeing it go into the grinder. Right. <laughs> right. Know, beyond that, it's not going to make anything any difference. Um, Do they die when you freeze them? Like if you're cutting not always. If if you're cutting up a roast, mm. say like a back ham of a of a moose, which is quite the roast. Oh, now I'm getting hungry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> If if you're if you're just cutting up a big chunk of meat to then freezer wrap it or vac seal it or whatever, and then you freeze it and then yeah. you pull it out, say a month later, and it's been frozen at I don't know twenty below in your freezer for for an extended period of time, does that kill the tapeworm? I, I believe, and I'm not going to say this with one hundred percent like scientific confidence, but I believe I read that it takes three months for them to die in the freezer. Hmm. So. Okay. Perhaps anything you've had from like last season that's maybe stood, stood over. Um, but cooking them, it's kind of like with trichinosis in bears, right? Yeah. Um, that's also a parasite that's in, involved in those, in that meat. Yeah. Uh, cooking it to well done or higher temps will, will kill it. You don't always have to go to well done. I think, weren't you saying, Mo, you, you read it was 120 degrees 130, would kill it? 130. 130, okay, 140. Because yeah. I know depending yeah. on where you read it, some people will say even higher than that. 140 but. if you're doing it over extended cooking time. Yeah. Right. 160 if it's a shorter cook time. If is, the internal temperature read. of the meat gotcha. reaches, reaches 140. Yeah. Then, right, So right, if you're yeah. measuring that's, it, yeah. yeah. That's usually what we go with. Yep. Now, yeah. for the, like with the ta- tapeworms. Mm-hmm. Personally, growing up in Alaska, cutting up moose from as long as I can remember, I remember asking my dad about them and he being like, yeah, whatever, they're in everything up here. Right, right. Tapeworms specifically, because you see them in the meat. They're, you know, a few inches long usually, and you yep. see, sometimes you'll even see them crawling if, if, if the meat's <laughs> yeah. fresh when you're cutting it up. Right. And he's just like, yeah, whatever, it's just a parasite. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, I found an answer. And on... that's just the thought. So for me, it's yeah. never even a thought. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's what I, th- I felt it was interesting when he pointed out the fact that a lot of people don't talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like that's kind of how everybody that's up here why. is, is yeah. we know it's not going to hurt us. And we, yeah, it's a little bit gross, but that's, that's hunting. That's the game, right? I mean, yeah. it's, I, I would consider a uh, tapeworm cyst ridden uh, quarter off of a moose yeah. safer for me to eat than anything I'll find at the grocery store. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of my stance on Alaska it. Alaska Department of Fish and Game has a statement about this. Freezing does kill tapeworms, but not the most common worm in bear meat. Trichinella, which is a species adapted for yeah. life in the cold north. So tapeworms 100% die. Do they? Okay. When you freeze them. I'm wondering what I read then. Yeah. Yeah. Good so thing I didn't say it with confidence. That's a good thing to know. <laughs> um, so if, if you have, say, a moose that has several little cysts or tapeworms in it that you're somewhat concerned about, mm. if you're worried about it, then freeze it and yep. then forget about it. Does it, it say anything about leaving it frozen for any duration of time? Like, I mean, can you just flash freeze it and that should kill them or? Do tapeworms die when you freeze meat? This is on a different website. Uh, I'm, there's a lot of different like little forum things. I, I'm, I'm sure it depends on which. It. There's several different yeah. types of tapeworms even. So I'm yeah. sure it depends yeah. on the specifics. Mm-hmm. But. So from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, it says as long as you freeze it. So raw meat and parasites on holistic ferret forum. <laughs> 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 raw meat can and does carry parasites. This is fairly common knowledge. However, freezing meat for a minimum of four weeks at a temperature of negative 18 to negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit does kill the vast majority of parasites. So So the magic number is four weeks that we'll go with for today. Yeah, exactly. Okay. If you're concerned about it, then for your own peace of mind, freeze it for a month and then forget about it. Yeah. And if you can't stomach the idea of eating the actual cyst, you know, whether that's in burger meat Mm -hmm. or you, if you don't want to leave it on your roast, which a lot of people don't, you know, I mean, it's, it's unsightly. It's not. It's not 
good to look at it again won't won't affect the flavor won't affect the, the texture but you know if you want to cut that out you don't have to cut wide yeah you know just cut the actual cyst out yeah uh you don't have to like waste huge like cut inches all the way around it or anything yeah. like that just get that that cyst off the surface of the meat and you'll be good to go yes if the meat is discolored or smells funny yeah call fish and game take them a piece and have it tested mm-hmm. or at least get someone's professional opinion on it before right. you just grind that up with everything else and eat it. Right. That's what I would say yeah, to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, caribou is the animal that I've seen the most infection in. Right. Between bot flies and winter caribou that are that, that are burrowing under the hide of mm-hmm. caribou to survive yeah. the winter and then they'll hatch out the animal in the spring. Uh, those, yeah, those things are nasty. Those things are gross. Yeah. That, that yeah. looks like some kind of an alien life form. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and those will be attached to the underside of the hide when you're trying mm-hmm. to skin out a caribou in yep. the wintertime. If you're trying to keep the hide, you've got to go through and pick all the bot flies, yep. those little um, larvae out from under the hide. And it, it's nasty and it sounds gross because it is. Right. Uh, and I've also found little spots where the, they'll, they've actually burrowed in. And I don't know if those are bot flies or if those are different parasites, but I've seen more oddities in mm. caribou than I have ever in moose. I would, I would say I agree with that. I've seen a lot more of them in caribou. And tapeworms, I've seen a ton of them in brown bears. Have you really? It's just gross. That makes that sense. Makes sense that, oh, yeah. yeah. They eat a lot of moose. Nasty. <laughs> right? Yeah. Nasty. Yeah, I can well, imagine. I, yeah, moose and rotten right, fish. Right. And well, all, and, and parasites are just more prominent in carnivores anyways. Yeah. And, and fish. I mean, and have, that's what a lot of people don't know. You can get trichinosis in moose. And whatnot. Like it has yeah. been confirmed. It has been found. Wow. It's just extremely rare. Yeah. You know, because there are. I didn't herbivores. know that moose could carry trichinosis. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, but it's going to primarily be in carnivores, yeah. Yeah. you know, whether it's it's black bear, brown bear, wolf, mm-hmm. lynx, fox, fox, coyote, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, uh, w- one of his part of his question was how to kind of handle this in regards to pets. You know, when you have other animals, a lot of people will raw feed their pets. Uh, and yeah. it's a pretty common practice, especially if you're a very successful hunter and you've just got a lot of meat. Right. And a lot of sled dog people do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is one thing you have to be careful of with pets because they have a very similar digestion tract to the animals that carry these things. So the, the tapeworms can affect your dog if you were to free feed um, them or not free feed, raw feed them. Yeah meat that is infected with these tapeworms. Interesting. The reason, you know, you don't have to be overly cautious with it. It is a good thing to look into though, or to make sure you are a little bit careful with. But if you do end up getting a tapeworm in your animal, uh, it's a very easy thing to fix. Yeah. Like I said, those tapeworms, they just attach themselves to their digestive tract. And so if you catch it early enough, you can go to the vet and they have... I think there's two or three different brands of medication that you can get. So it depends on which which vet you go to in your uh-huh. area. How do you use. how do you figure out if your dog gets tapeworms? There's usually worms in there. Yeah, you'll see them in their, in oh, their okay. feces and stuff yeah, okay. like that. Okay. Um, but basically, what the medication does is you just you just feed it to your dog in a treat or a piece of cheese or whatever you know, just like you would normal medication. A piece of cheese, and <laughs> it works great, dude. <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, or a piece of raw meat. You or <laughs> preferably without the worms. <laughs> but it, what it does is it just causes them to detach themselves from yeah. the line, the wall linings of the intestine, and they just flush them right out. Yeah. It's super painless. It's super quick. Um, you know, and it's just I think it's like a one week regimen of this medication you got to huh. do. So if you are careful, but if 
some get through, you know, maybe you threw your dog a piece of meat that was, you know, infested with these, these worms and he ends up getting some, not a big deal, not something you really got to freak out about or or Mm -hmm. fret about. You know, the the biggest thing I I said, you know, I ended with the the email was don't let the fact that these tapeworms are there deter you from enjoying the the game meat from, from enjoying eating it, enjoying sharing it, you know, don't let it ruin the experience. Yeah. Why not? Cause it's really, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But it is something that not a lot of people talk about. So I found that yeah. kind of interesting. Interesting question. Um, let's see. Jordan writes into the, the show next. Um, and this one was actually directed at you, Dalton. So why don't you read that? Okay. So this is Jordan. I'm going to scroll through this here. He says, hello. Thank you for putting on the work for this show. Well, I'm glad you noticed that we work hard. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> It's nice to be noticed. <laughs> he says, I listened to your episode on caribou hunting while I was driving to go on a float for caribou. Some of the tips you recommended about finding a travel corridor were key to my buddy and I both harvesting caribou. Congratulations. Very nice. If I could convince our sound guy to play some audience cheering right now. <laughs> it's, it's too much work to keep that set up oh. right now. <laughs> okay, he goes on maybe, to say, Maybe post-production. Yeah, he says, I go on to, he goes on to say, a question I have for Dalton is, what is the lightweight eight inch cot you use with your solitude tent? He's referring to uh, the solitude peaks mm-hmm. four man teepee tent. Uh, the eight inch cot, it's eight inches off the ground. Right. And it's a full length, relatively lightweight cot, very fast and easy to set up. It is made by Mission Mountain. You can buy them on Amazon for. $120, I think. Little little tip for people listening. If you're listening in Alaska, the main, the Mission Mountain website, if you go to their direct website, does not ship to Alaska. Cool. So you have to buy it on Amazon or some alternate source. Okay, good to know. Uh, my wife and I bought two of those prior to our August flyout deer hunt. And we were using that, that four-man teepee, and we wanted the comfort of cots because we had the room on the plane. They weigh, I think, four pounds a piece, and they pack down pretty small. I think they're probably 16 inches long and six inches around packed yeah. down. They have three legs underneath. Uh, it, it's a bar that goes under the cot, and it has a little cam, uh, cam over locking bar to put the, to- to put the cot into tension. Yeah. And it's, it's a great system. I've used mine a lot this fall. Yeah. We used them on that deer hunt in August, and I used one guiding on both my trips, and then we used one for our personal hunting for moose in September as well. So I've spent uh, a, a good number of nights now, uh, probably, mm, let's see here, one, two, three, yeah, probably six weeks or so this fall sleeping on that cot. Nice. And uh, no, no cracks in the system. No, it, it hasn't gotten loose and lost its tension over that time either, which is really nice. Uh, the fabric seems to be holding up well. It's nice because it has little pocket storage on one side of it as well. That's really handy, you know, for, for just putting the things from your pockets at night. If you want to sleep in your pants, you can put your pocket knife and your Leatherman and, and your wallet or whatever in those little storage pockets at night. So Mission Mountain is the company. Um, yeah, that they're they're a great bargain for what they are. They're not yeah. ultra lightweight like uh, what's that brand? 
Helinox. Helinox, yeah, the ones you can get at REI. Yeah, they're yeah. expensive and they are they are very light. I think and, they're and very just packable. over two and a half pounds. Yeah, um, and, and but they they run like three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very expensive and they're a lot harder to set up. Are they really? Yeah, it's a lot smaller hardware. Obviously, they're lighter weight, mm. but they're they're kind of tough to set up until you get the hang of it. Yeah. Now the Mission Mountain ones. Quite literally, five minutes or less setup. It's right. it's very very easy to set them up. Uh, the longest part is putting the main rods together to go down the whole length of the cot. So it's right. it's a very easy very easy system, and, it, and it's strong. It, it's worked well. And and the biggest thing for me is cots uh, generally tend to stretch out over a while. The fabric after sleeping on it for several yeah. nights in a row, you'll notice it gets starts to get loose. Um, and mine hasn't. And like I said, it, probably six weeks, if not a little bit more. Uh, of nights this fall on that cot with no no problems at all yeah well two things i like about that cot um is one if you look at if if you're shopping for for cots for a hunt and you're looking at the reviews of other purchasers and what they're saying about it you see a lot of that you see a lot of that stretching and especially when you get into that ultralight cot world yeah uh, the materials that they use don't hold up especially if you're a bigger person yeah uh, whether it's you know your bigger height wise or weight wise or whatever it might be yeah um you know, they, they tend to bend. There's yep. a lot of the competitors for Mission Mountain I saw where the, the support uh, feet, I guess you'd call them, would, mm. would start to bend at a certain point okay. or, or the bars along the side would start to change shape a little bit depending yeah. just from standard use. Some yeah. people were saying just even on like a one-week hunt, oh, wow. they'd come back and it'd be hard to disassemble the thing. Oh. And, um, you know, and these are backcountry people, yeah. you know, so they're, they're in shape, you know, they're fit, but they're just bigger people. Yeah. Um, and kind of on that note with the, the mission mountain, um, I'm a, a fairly large individual myself. I'm six and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. And I had, before I, I purchased one, the, um, our good buddy, Sean had bought some for one of his hunts and he, I was out, uh, with him in the woods and he had one set up. I was like, Hey man, I'm thinking about buying one of these, you know, Dalton seems to really like it. You know, you've got one now. Let me try it out. Yeah. And at six and a half feet tall, I can lay down on that thing and not be hanging off both sides, you know, which is rare, (laughs) (laughs) especially for a a lightweight world. You know, um, when you're a taller individual, a lot of the, the ultralight stuff, the lightweight backcountry stuff, you know, when you look at even their taller versions, their larger versions, maximum, you know, user six, two, six, three, something like that for sleeping bags and whatnot. So it's nice that there's a, an affordable, strong, yeah option that will accommodate somebody that's a larger individual yeah, yeah. Um, be watching for black friday and cyber monday deals coming mm, up yeah my wife and i bought both those cots on prime day which i wasn't even what aware of was it was say. like three months ago no it's like a weird <laughs> Missed that one yeah. <laughs> but my wife told me about it because i was looking at those cots and i said oh there, there's these cots they're they're well uh, reviewed and they seem to be what we were looking mm-hmm. for and, and, and they're pretty cheap. Uh, right. So it's, it's worth trying them anyway. If they, if they don't work, then we're out 200 bucks. And right? you've wasted 200 bucks in worse ways, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, I spent <laughs> $200 a week in gas between the two of us. So <laughs> right. anyway, uh, but so we, we ended up buying them, but she said, well, let's wait a day until prime day. And we bought them for like 80 bucks a piece. Nice. So <laughs> anyway, but yeah, just, you know, black Friday's coming up and cyber Monday. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can keep an eye out for some deals. Are there, up soon. Are there any alternative brands you would recommend people look at if they didn't want the Mission Mountain? Are there any that you've I haven't seen, seen? anything else with as good a reviews and, gotcha. and as good a feedback as the Mission Mountain in that price category. Cool. So 
Yeah, I, I appreciate your question, Jordan. Um, I hopefully can hopefully you found that in time to pick one up. Um, your suggestions later on in your email, I appreciate that. We won't go into all that. Uh, the rest of Jordan's email, but he had some good suggestions. So just to let you know, we will be looking into that. So awesome. Anyway, all right. And last but not least for today's episode, Andrew writes into the show uh, asking about hauling out meat. Uh, so he says, have you or anyone you know ever used a game cart for packing out your kill? I'm referring to carts typically used for hauling out entire white-tailed deer from the woods in the lower 48. I'm wondering how well they would work for packing moose, bear, or even caribou out of non-motorized areas. Um, I know plenty of people that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we all do. Um, yep. I'm looking at getting a setup to do this myself. Um, the, there's several different kinds of carts available to hunters um you know a lot of people there's like the literal pull behind ones they just kind of look like a reverse uh reverse double wheel wheelbarrow with a a little spot for you to you know pull it um right and i've heard people having decent success with those you know you can get different tire shapes and different tire sizes for different terrain different tire shapes (laughs) i guess not shapes that was kind (laughs) of tread shapes <laughs> yeah that's what, yeah that's <laughs> so like a fat tire bike or, right or yeah. skinnier tires um yeah. and you know there's also uh like if you're wanting to go in on a bicycle you yeah. know they have bicycle carts that you can put on on your your mountain bike mm-hmm. and haul things out or your e-bike or your e-bike you cannot use an e-bike in a non-motorized area a lot of people have that misconception in alaska i have done the research um it is an electric motor, but it is still considered a motor. So <laughs> I think they, they kind of turned a blind eye to it for a lot of years. Um, but as of last year, at least, there was an update put out by yeah. Fish and Game specifically for that. So, hmm. um, But for mountain bikes, you know, pedaled, just pedal-powered mountain mm-hmm. bikes, I mean, you can still use those to get into a lot of areas if you have a good enough trail system. Uh, the one biggest thing I would say to look at for this in, in my research getting into this is... One, terrain. Make sure the terrain is good for a wheeled yeah. pull behind, you know, hand-powered wheeled uh, device. Yeah. Because a lot of caribou country, a lot of moose country, it's going to be a lot of swamp. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> unless, unless you're, you're, you know, on a, on a trail, a nice graveled trail somewhere yeah. in the mountains, you know, and you're, you're, you've scouted it ahead of time, you know it's a good trail. Um, I actually know somebody that took a cart uh, up into the five mile corridor to go after caribou. And he would use that up there. I think he had fat, fat tire bike style tires on his cart. Mm-hmm. He did it a couple times at least. So, I mean, it couldn't have worked too bad, um, yeah. but he's also a very tough, tough man. So yeah, just, <laughs> just pull a sled. Just, I was going to say at that point, I would just bring a toboggan. Now, the um, bigger tires you put on it will be better. Like diameter wise. It'll, it'll be better for floating basically. Well, for floating, going over objects, rolling yeah, over logs. It's going to be heavier though. It will be, but yeah. you know, you, personally, it's, if I was going to do something like that, I would almost think I might design and build something myself. Yeah. Well, and even those fat tire bikes, I mean, you hear people talk about them all the time. They're harder yeah. to pedal. You know, I mean, one guy, right? how would one guy say it's the, it's the best, worst way to get anywhere in Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> it just apparently sucks. I don't own a fat tire bike, but from everything I've heard about I think that probably them. comes down to the gearing ratio. Right, probably, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess there's something about them. They don't have the same gearing as a standard mountain bike. There might be some brands that do. Don't quote me on that. But from what he was saying. I've that, ridden a couple that are quite well suited for the backcountry, but they're nice. also like $3,500. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, not fat, interested. Those kind of fat tire bikes and even e-bikes, man. Oh, like, yeah. If you're looking yeah. at e-bikes for yeah. getting into some areas, you I mean. buy a four-wheeler for that. Yeah. And just go into or a motorized. Like nine grand, <laughs> depending on which one you're looking at, which yeah. configuration. And you have 15 features. hours of battery life. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, if you carry spare batteries. Yeah. I'm surprised nobody's, and maybe they have, but I found one that has like a, almost like a stator or an alternator on the tire. I'm sure so like some as of them, you're doing the pedal assist, oh no, that, it kind that of recharges a little bit. On I think its that own. definitely exists. Does, to some is that extent, a thing? But you're just not going to get the same kind of power. No, no, not you. Like well, those old right? flashlights that you dinosaurs. had when you were a kid, and you <laughs> could wind the. That's top exactly of it, what I was thinking of. And yeah. you would wind it for like 30 minutes and think, "Man, I'm going to get this thing all charged up," and you got like one bar. Yep, yep. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, you know what? Screw it. Just put new double A's in this thing. Yeah. I'm surprised nobody's made a an e cart. You know what I'm saying? Would that be e-cart? Oh yeah. Oh, the like an electronic idea. Car? Oh, Put, maybe. Yeah. That Put those big tires on there. And... E-wheeler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? An e four wheeler. Well, like a cart. Like so, you're not in it. It's not transporting you. It's just transporting your gear in the game. <laughs> so you hit that's the throttle very... too hard, you're gonna run yourself <laughs> over. No, like an e-bike though. Like the small. Well, little... maybe you walk behind it. You just yeah. Kind of, like, a, like a walk behind lawnmower or something. Or those like that. walk behind. They've got those like pulling those sleds that are the. The track machines yeah, for the yeah. snow that'll pull you now. Yeah. And all I can see is somebody just getting <laughs> drug across the tundra behind their e-barrow. Right. <laughs> or the, the throttle locks up and it's just spinning in circles. <laughs> like like wow. those auger videos. Help. Man, you guys are just but I, I think that's a great idea, Mo. I think you should, me up to I, I think you should I think you should patent it. I, I think you should. You um, and Tom Hanks go into business. Call, together. call, call, call it the Momobile. <laughs> if I can get Tom <laughs> Hanks to show it in action, I'll sell a million. There right? we go. <laughs> um one thing I would say to watch out for with using carts, depending on which style you go with, um, whether you're pulling it behind a bike or pulling it behind yourself, uh, one is practice with the amount of weight you're yeah. planning on putting in there. Make yep. sure you can actually pull that before you get, right. you know, 12 miles back somewhere. That's probably an exaggeration, but a lot of guys do it. Um, so, you know, make sure you can actually pull that cart uphill while it's weighted. You know, make sure you're not going to lose. It's just not going to ruin your your yeah. physical body or your experience one of the two um but also look at the weight limitations of the carts mm -hmm. because i can tell you the ones that go behind bicycles um typically have a weight rating of about 125 pounds give or take yeah so some are a little more some are a little less but you want to make sure because you're not going to find at least a light cart pull behind for a bicycle that you would want to bring into the back country mm -hmm. that's going to be much higher of a weight rating than that yeah and that's why they work so good in the lower 48 for deer, you know, because a gutted deer, sure. um, you're looking somewhere in that ballpark usually, unless it's a, a monster, a big one. Um, and some of the parts of the lower 48, that breed monster deer. Or Canada. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're pulling a deer out, you can, if, you, if let's say it is a big one that beats that weight limit, uh, you cut it in half, you're making two trips. Yeah. Right? Yeah. On a moose, if you have a 125 pound limit. Yeah. That's a quarter at a time. Yeah. You know, you might get a little bit of burger in there depending on the size of the moose. If that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might um, be trimming a quarter just to make yeah, it Yeah, I would fit. say on some moose, yeah, you might be lucky yeah. to get a quarter on there. So yeah. keep yeah. that in mind too, depending on where you're going to be going, what you're planning on hauling out. You might be making, you know, eight trips yeah. back and forth trying yeah. to get that whole thing out on a cart. Yeah. Um, so just something to keep in mind while you're shopping. Yeah. I think the way that I've seen those carts used the most up here is with bear baiters. Yeah. You know, they've, Absolutely. they've got some kind of a dirt road access or, or, or they ride a nice flat trail through the birch wood mm -hmm. trees and mm -hmm. there's no swamp through the hardwoods. 
and they don't want to ride their four-wheeler all the way into the bear bait or they're walking in somewhere, but they've got nice flat dry ground. Right. It, it, as long as it's flat and, and you clear all the stumps and, and fallen trees out of the way or whatever and, and, and get a clear path into your bait, mm-hmm. you can haul all the dog food you need to restock that week in that yeah. cart, you know, three bags, 50 pounds each and, 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 and a jug full of grease. Yep. And you can wear your little day pack for sitting in the stand that night. Uh, I, I think it could be very useful in that case. Absolutely, for so, a bait, yeah. yeah. Just make sure on the physical side of things, if you're planning on going any distance or up any hills, yeah. weigh that thing down with what you're intending to put in it, whether it's a moose quarter, or a full black bear, whatever yeah. it might be, and make sure you can make as many trips as you need to to yeah. get mm-hmm. the animal out. Because the last thing you want is to get on your third trip out of the woods carrying that third quarter and you're whooped. Yeah, and you don't know if you can make it another four trips to well, get the rest of the animal out. Just That'd, bring a pack frame and leave it in your truck, if nothing else. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, so great tool. Don't get yourself in trouble with it. Yeah. Um, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions you would like featured on the show, um, be sure to write us in. You can hit us up at our social medias. If you search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, if you go to the website thenorthernhunter.com. Uh, we've got the contact button there that'll send an email to us. Um, if, and again, any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, send them to the email. We, we love talking to people uh, and we're, we're very easy to talk to, uh, not just on the mics, but off the mics also. Yeah. So uh, while you're on the website, if you wouldn't mind going to the shop page or the partners page and uh, supporting the show and helping us grow a little bit, the shop page has some merch in there. We've got hats, hoodies, and t-shirts. The partners page has content from a bunch of different companies that have all decided to sponsor the show and give us discount codes that you can use. Uh, it's all great gear, get you out in the backcountry, help you be more successful, and it's all very useful stuff. We've kept our, our sponsors very hunting-oriented. Yeah. Um, so if you use the discount code, it helps them, helps us, and we appreciate all the, all the uh, help. And the cheapest way to support us is to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Give us a rating. Five stars is always best. And be sure to share the show with your friends. Leave us a written review. All of that helps get this show in front of more people and help us spread the word. So we're, uh, we're signing off for today. But until next time, get out there, get after it, and good luck. See you there. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. Dude. Alright folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, 
Go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.